Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded in Dusseldorf at an Innovation Roundtable workshop hosted by Henkel in September 2018, where our colleague Leonard sat down with Nicholas Vorschilden, Head of Digital Transformation at AB InBev, to talk about the phenomenon of digital transformation. Nicholas talks about the essential role digital evangelists play at a corporate level and explains how AB InBev uses games such as Shark Tank to stimulate an entrepreneurial mindset. Nico, thank you very much uh, for joining me in my little pop-up studio here. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting. Um, maybe we can start the interview by you just uh, briefly explaining who you are, what company you work for, and uh, what role you have at the moment. Sure. So uh, I'm basically working for Heinezebusch InBev, so the biggest uh, beer brewer in the world. And I'm uh, responsible for digital innovation and digital transformation uh, in Europe for the group. Started my career within ABI a couple of years ago in our Silicon Valley-based office called the Beer Garage. And uh, after some time, I moved back to Europe uh, to lead so the digital innovation and transformation pool for the company there. Maybe you can start with giving a, a bit of an overview about kind of the innovation framework, yeah. but also kind of how that digital part that you're working on is plugging into the larger innovation framework or process. Sure. So uh, I would say that when we first started with innovation and how we handled the innovation was more, you know, stage gates based. So you would have to pass through different process. You would see you would have a check at every stage gate and eventually come up with some kind of end results, product or uh, solution or whatever it is. The thing is that that process takes a lot of time. And it's uh, very time-consuming, and when you know that for innovation, usually timing is very important. So we decided to shift you know, this stage-gate innovation approach into a new kind of approach, which is more lean startup design thinking approach. And uh, in that respect, what we are doing right now is uh, not for every department still, for some business units. What we are doing is that we are trying to first see if there is a real consumer problem for any kind of thing. So we try to solve painkillers, you know, problems rather than vitamins, something that can enhance. So this is what you're trying to do to prove first. So problem solving, then we are also trying to see if the solution is right. And we do that with fast prototyping and eventually see if there is um, a real, let's say, uh, business case and uh, business model in order to get a positive ROI and revenues out of it. So we shifted from this traditional, you know, stage process to a more lean, agile way of working, a way of innovating within certain business units. Now, of course, I would say that the next step, and we are working on this, actually, is not to have that only and purely within business units, but to try to streamline this kind of approach within uh, all, all departments within, or main departments within the organization. Let me ask you about the, the kind of the nature of digital. Now that you are in a, in a business where it's kind of quite tangible, your products, um, how do you merge kind of that, that tangible world with the, with the digital world? Or what are some of the challenges in that way, but also opportunities of having that, I mean, compared to a software company, insurance company, or banking, which is, might be more straightforward to digitize or digitalize? Right. I, th I think this is very important. This is a very important topic that many FMCG companies have got nowadays. When you're thinking about uh, digital uh, when we think about digital within our company, I think you can have many different aspects or vision how to tackle it. First, digital is important to uh, make advertisement. 
or consumer base, uh, we are targeting mostly millennials, and those are more digital natives. So digital uh, media, social medias, etc., are more likely to talk to those people. So when you talk about marketing and advertisement, we're shifting more and more from, let's say, the traditional above-the-line medias to more digital, I would say, uh, digital medias and support medias, social medias, etc. Okay? So that's the first thing. The second thing is like when you're also talking about talent, talent approaches, when try to recruiting people, etc., we also figure out that digital solutions are something very, very important as well for those new graduates. As well, the way on how you present the company with innovation and uh, you know way of allowing people to let's say, innovate whenever they already start is really important. And so whenever we have workshops and, you know, presentation within universities, we always try to bring that on the table as well. We do that physically, but we also do that online. So that's second. And then third, and I think this is uh, most importantly as well for our products and our brands. So when we're talking about selling our products, um, we are, of course, you know, still selling most of our products in physical uh, store or bars, Physical store, we call that the off-trade or physical bars or events, the on-trade. So most of our turnover is being done there. But uh, we are also seeing more and more, and we have a dedicated team to that, uh, more and more you know, uh, online retailers, pure players, or even niche players. So you would have, of course, when you think about online selling, we would think about uh, like the Walmart or the Tesco of this world that allow you to either... Uh, order online and getting delivered to your home or getting order online and collect offline into their driving or something like that. Uh, you would have the pure players like the Hokkaido and the Amazon of this world where we can also sell our products. But also I was mentioning those niche players like um, the Uber Eats, the Deliveroo's, uh, the Drizzly, Sousies, mini bars of this world that allow people to get basically their drinks delivered to their home through an app or also, you know, bridging food when they, whenever they order some food through an app, like a Domino's app, they can bridge it directly with, uh, link that directly with some of our products like beer. So those are, you know, still representing not the majority, I would say, of our sales, but this is uh, becoming more and more important. And as the, you know, the society is also shifting towards a more digital and online uh, way of, of doing things, uh, it's become more and more important for our company as well. Now you're already talking about those uh, those platforms. I'd be curious that it sounded as if you're kind of using those platforms and you know collaborating with them mm -hmm. and using those platforms as, as as another sales channel, basically. What about you know creating own platforms? Is that a topic? You know, it could be a beer uh, platform where you could uh, you know sell beers, maybe even from from competitors. Um, But is that uh, something that you look into, like creating own platforms, or is it more like seeing what is out there and plugging into existing ones? Well, um, it depends as well on the zone. So ABNBF is operating all across the world. And uh, if you take, for instance, the US, United States, uh, we have what we call there the three-tier system. Uh, and the three-tier system forbids uh, alcoholic manufacturers like beer manufacturers like us to sell directly to the end consumer. So in those very specific zones, it will be not possible for us to develop our own uh, owned sales channel directly to the end consumer. In other areas, uh, in other areas of the world, uh, like in Brazil or in Mexico or even in Europe here, 
we can do that. And uh, we have developed, uh, for instance, uh, several different initiatives, or we have been purchasing different players that were already, you know, operating, selling not only our beers, but also competitors' beers, like other craft beers and so on. And uh, we are, via those channels, actually effectively selling to the end consumer. So I can give you examples of what we're doing. Basically, there are some apps that are um, selling directly, you know, geo-based, based on your on location. But there are also, you know, subscription-based, where you can uh, basically get uh, delivered uh, within the next couple of days, not immediately, but within the next couple of days, uh, directly to your home. And that gives you a way to try and taste new kind of beers, Right. So uh, we have a, a very huge portfolio uh, of beers, and that allows the consumer to try to try out new flavors, etc., and hence increase the penetration uh, of other, let's say, less famous brands that we own as well. Let me ask you about <clears throat> some of the capabilities and skill sets that that you need and your teams working within digital. Uh, what is it that you that you look for, and, and how do you develop that on your own, or do you hire new people? How do you do it? How we develop our own... Yeah, what kind of skill sets you need and how you find those skill sets within the company or outside the company? So, you know, AB Indef has got, uh, we call entrepreneurship is in our DNA. So uh, what you're trying to... Of course, digital transformation is not something that is uh, an easy task. And it takes... It's not something you can do uh, overnight. So it takes some time to, you know, let the people, train the people. Because entrepreneurship is in our DNA, the people are more keen... Or we've noticed that the people are more keen to learn and develop themselves into those new kind of you know way of working like agile or with squads, what we're doing right now, having squads of different functions mm-hmm. within working on a, on a common project, for instance. So um, this is one way on how we're doing it. It's like by training and also you know via getting some evangelists within the company. I am myself probably one of the also one big inventions within the company trying to go whenever I, whenever I can in different zones trying to uh, you know show them uh, new ways of working but also uh, very importantly uh, we try as well to mix different backgrounds and also people that are digitally native with some people who are let's say more skilled or a little bit older in their function and uh, it would be very successful when you have those kind of uh, interaction Maybe another thing that I can add is when uh, that we have launched uh, an initiative called the Shark Tank Challenge. So the Shark Tank Challenge is uh, just like the TV show, uh, the Shark Tank of the Dragons, then in the UK. So you just replace the billionaire, um, the billionaire entrepreneurs uh, that will invest into the startups with or uh, C-suite people within uh, within a certain zone, and then you replace. Uh, the startups with our own employees. And then basically we have designed, uh, when I moved back to from Silicon Valley, um, I had, it's a little fun story, I had an interaction with uh, Mark Cuban uh, in the, co- the CES, as a consumer electronic show one year before I moved back to Europe. And he told me, look, man, you, you, should, you should do that. Actually, you should do that within your company uh, because it makes so much sense to have that at the corporate level. And uh, at that time, it didn't make any sense for me in the, the, the role that I had. But when I moved back to Europe, try to evangelize, to, you know, to disrupt or transform uh, the way on how we are doing innovation within the zone, uh, it made so much sense to create such kind of a concept. So um, I decided, together with our uh, C-suite uh, in Europe, to develop this uh, Shark Tank initiative. And that proved to be a very good medium, actually, on how to embrace digital transformation, because it, it allows every employee to actually pitch their ideas, develop their ideas, and, and get it to real concrete pilot in front of our silver people. 
And uh, that actually is a very big driver of digital transformation within the company and proved to be very, very successful so far. How do you generally kind of, how do you assemble teams? What kind of uh, profiles do you need in, your, in, in teams, especially working in the digital, digital space? So it all depends, I guess, as well on uh, which kind of uh, problem or you're trying or challenge that you're trying to solve. So um, usually, typically, we try to have, you know, heterogeneous teams. Um, I would say that uh, typically, and how it was done in the past, it was more like within, I would say, uh, the innovation lab that we would create those teams. Now we are trying to span that into uh, other ki all other kind of departments as well. But we try them to be as heterogeneous as possible. Like with the new squad teams I was mentioning, for instance, uh, we try to have people from IT, from marketing, from sales, from supply, from legal because everybody can bring added value into into the discussion and have their own you know new perspective on some uh, on on some per, some perspective some some new problems that you might have not think about uh, if you're just only with marketers or only with salespeople, for instance so that's very important to have uh, those kind of heterogeneous uh, squad teams when we think about kind of emerging technologies what are some of the emerging technologies that that are interesting at the moment Well, um, if I make the relationship to our own industry, so the beer industry, yes. for instance, um, you know, I think, I think there, there are a couple. So when you think about augmented reality, for instance, um, picture yourself, you are in a supply chain factory, you are producing, uh, we are here in Germany, so we are producing our favorite Beck's, Beck's, beer, uh, Beck's beer brand here. So you're there, your line manager is, is not present, is uh, on holiday or whatsoever, is not in the, in the factory. And you need to replace a part because the, the, the supply chain is broken, for instance. So how do you do nowadays? Well, you have to find someone who knows who the, who the people in charge is. Then that person has to call, uh, the let, let's say, the, the company that is manufacturing the part that is broken. They need to ship it back, etc. So... Picture yourself, you would have an AR with augmented reality uh, HoloLens, let's say, on your face. Then you can basically say, hey, uh, here are the instructions on how to plug that piece in. And by the way, that piece you can now 3D print it, thanks to this 3D printer. And you don't need to wait uh, uh, like a lead time of two days before getting it into your factory. So I think like AR can help in that respect. 3D printing can help in that respect. So that is, for instance, one, one of the use cases that can be possible as well for supply chain. When you think about, um, you know, uh, virtual teams, like we were talking about, we were talking just a moment ago about the squad teams. Now we have, uh, you know, people in Bangalore, in, Indi in India, in our growth analytical center, for instance, that want to work with some of our marketeers in New York and maybe some of our uh, supply chain people or product and liquid uh, development team in, in Europe, in Leuven. So, um, so imagine maybe like having a, a VR headset where you can have, you know, those kind of a virtual lobby room where you can really interact in real time with the people. So that could be as well, you know, an added value for those kind of, you know, uh, let's say digital transformation in HR and people point of view. Uh, when you think about another example, maybe be blockchain, one of my favorite ones. Uh, blockchain, when you think about uh, tracking, for instance, the ingredients that are on your beer. Just picture yourself, you would have like a beard, you would scan the QR code and then you will be able to know, oh, this hop is coming from that uh, area in uh, Ecuador. Uh, the malt is coming from that area in Scotland. This water is coming from Marcella Arthur Brewery in Leuven. And uh, this, uh, and you know, the different kind of, uh, and this yeast is coming from there. So you would have, you would be able to trace 
what is inside your beer, you know, through the whole supply chain, thanks to blockchain, for instance. That could be one of the applications of blockchain. We will have many other possible applications as well. Think about a pilot we've been recently been running with Budweiser in the US. Like uh, one of the big challenges for many FMCG companies, for instance, is to know whenever they invest one dollar in advertising, what has that dollar provided in terms of effective ROI in purchase? Well, now when you think about impressions on Facebook, is the first, you know, let's say funnel. But then from Facebook to the, it's an example. But then from Facebook to uh, the real effective purchase, how do you track that as well? Well, actually, there are ways to do that together with blockchain, and we've been partnering with um, with one of the startups uh, called Keep to actually effectively uh, do so. Um, blockchain is one. Then you have as well, if you think about product, if you think product-wise as well, you might have. Uh, uh, CRISPR, you know, I think it's very interesting as well on how to to change DNAs and stuff like that. So when you think about malt, uh, CRISPRs can help basically, you know, creating a better better kind of malt, more sustainable, or even you can, it's a funny experiment that's already been run, but you can as well, you know, create fluorescent beer uh, thanks to CRISPR and stuff like that. So I think, you know, there are many different uh, innovation technology, emerging technologies that are uh, totally applicable to our industry and that that's what makes it so uh, so interesting. Now you're mentioning startups, and and you're also collaborating with uh, startups. How do you how do you what criteria do you use basically to to figure out what kind of startups you want to um, engage with, and and what scope do you have? So when we engage with startups, basically uh, we always try to solve a business need. So. Uh, Back in the time when I was in the first iteration, I would say, of the beer garage in, in, in Palo Alto, well, you know, working in, in like this kind of new secret lab and then trying to push to a zone, you know, some kind of disruptive technology that you think might be valuable, well, that didn't prove to be successful. So, um, because the zone might not have the same businesses that, that you know, you thought they might have. So, mm. it's very important to have this collaboration first. Um, to solve a business objective or a business need. So the startups need to solve that business needs. And uh, this is how we usually engage the startups. So first, having you know clear criteria on what you are trying to solve. And it can be horizontal, it can be in supply, it can be in, in marketing, it can be in sales, it can be in finance, in people, or in legal, or whatsoever function. So always trying to solve a business needs. Then we engage with the startup. Usually we try to do you know some kind of... A, uh, joint funding with a different function, so want to do that. To take back my previous example, we tried that global co-funded with with a zone, for instance, to go to go together for that, uh, to go together for a pilot together with a startup, and then that's the first criteria, like having a startup that answers a real effective business needs. Then we're also looking, of course, in the startup. Um, we usually found out that startups that are in the later stage are for big corporation like us are probably more uh, relevant uh, just because maybe you know a pre-seed or seed startup might not have uh, the right leverage to um, to scale up if needed to if the pilot proved to be successful so that's not always the case but that's often that's often how, how we saw that that uh, that it happened and then I, I think as well when we, we look at startups we look as well at people that really believe in their products and that's for sure uh, super crucial for any startup that want to, you know, uh, go on the market and succeed. And uh, we we look very seriously at uh, founders' history and, and and how the founder is is engaged within his his, his or her uh, own startup and uh, what is his or her vision uh, for the future and how that can actually match 
with the corporation or or company uh, business objectives. So that those are uh, very important criteria whenever uh, we try to engage uh, with the startups. On top of that, and that will be the last thing I will I'll, I'll add on the topic. On top of that, we also do some kind of DAV analysis, what we call desirability, feasibility, and viability analysis. Whenever to, we have to assess, let's say, a batch of startups that are uh, curated uh, from, uh, let's say, uh, either innovation festival or governmental trade association accelerators, VCs, or any other kind of networks. How does then the collaboration look like? Is it <clears throat> are you investing in them, or uh, is it you mentioned POC? Is it more like are you being kind of one of the first big customers potentially if it works out? How does kind of uh, what's the form of collabor collaboration? So we have a different kind of uh, collaborations uh, with the startups. Usually, what we try to do first is let's say a local pilot with the startups. And then if that works effectively well, we will scale that up. Let's say we first try a small pilot uh, within, uh, let's say, a region or a couple of bars, let's say, or a couple of stadiums or a couple of retailers. If that proves to be successful, we try to scale that up, let's say, to a country, then let's say to a business unit, uh, what we call business units. It's like small partial, like Western Europe. Then we can scale that up to Europe, like a zone. And then if it's really, really working well, we try to scale it up globally. So that's usually typically how we how we do that, and along the way we grow with the startup. What are some of the interfaces between kind of the startup and then the, the corporate? Where do those uh, <laughs> those two uh, kind of organizations uh, meet? Like the small and nimble startup, and then the, the larger corporate. Where what are kind of the overlapping spaces? Yeah. So where we typically meet, and briefly mentioned before, so. Um, there are different touch points that you have to, to work together with the st external startups. So um, basically, we have a strong network of uh, accelerators. Um, we have been running a corporate accelerator in New York uh, back in the time when I was there, like two years ago, I think, uh, Techstars Connections. So Techstars is one of our partner, accelerator partner, and they still uh, fuel us with some uh, of their best startups, so we attend their demo days and so on. This is one of the touch points that we have through the Techstar and some other accelerators. Um, another touch point will be through the governmental trade associations like La French Tech, Israelian Chamber of Commerce, etc., etc. We have, you know, those those governmental association, trade associations actually, you know, have a lot of startups that are getting to them, trying to target, you know, certain countries outside of their home countries and then getting in touch with the corporation through embassies or through uh, those, uh, those associations. And this is another touch point. VCs we're collaborating with. Uh, you mentioned if we are acquiring startup before. I forgot to answer that question, so I'll get right now. Uh, VCs, they also, you know, uh, give us uh, a, a good entry point to startups because if a big corporation is working with a VC, or if a big corporation is working with a startup, that's good for the investor. So they're trying to push that, that there. As well, we uh, might invest, and that, sorry, I forgot to answer that question, but we might invest eventually in some of the startups that, uh, that we're working with. So um, that's a third touch point. And then uh, we would also go you know, to all kind of innovation fairs like uh, Web Summit, Webit, uh, Pioneers, uh, uh, you name it, Slash or whatsoever, and where we also have you know, a curated group of startups that, um, that are getting in touch with us through those channels. And last but not least, we also have our own platform, like uh, we call that uh, Hack the World. Uh, this is hacktheworld.beer. This is our online platform where we post our business challenges to the external world. 
and uh, we are recruiting uh, through hackathons some uh, some founders, etc. But also, you know, through the different touch points we already mentioned, they can also go on this platform, see the, see our challenges, and uh, and apply for uh, for for a pilot together with our company. Last question, sure. <clears throat> big question. Um, innovation, how has it changed kind of in the last five, ten years if you look back? And what are the reasons for those changes? I think uh, innovation was more what we call close innovation and it shifted towards open innovation, which is like, you know, working more with startups in the external world. So, you know, I think all big corporations realized that Uh, the solution might not fit within their own company, but there might be other actors outside of the company with some other knowledge that might be able to answer, uh, you know, the needs that the corporation might have. Good examples like, you know, uh, the Uber and the Airbnb of this world disrupting, you know, uh, existing industries. So um, I think more and more big corporations have realized that this was coming. So shifted the close innovation to open innovation together with the external world. But also internally, and we talked about digital transformation, internally, um, the way on how we innovate as well and how we organize our work has also, or is also changing. And that's really important. It's not like working in silos anymore. Like, you know, this is this business unit and this is what you, everybody's focused on his own stuff. It's like creating, you know, this ecosystem, creating this platform, this, and facilitating, you know, the work Uh, between the different uh, business units in order to create more value through that innovation with different kind of people from different departments and trying to streamline that. And that's, you know, also uh, a big effort that uh, companies have to do. And I think this is uh, the direction that we're taking, uh, that we're all taking. And, uh, and I think the new generation, digital native generation that's coming right now has totally understood that and uh, is also uh, looking for those kind of solutions in the future. Nico, thank you very much uh, for that pleasant and interesting conversation. Thank you, Leonard. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners in large firms, so visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.